This morning's Bible readings are from Exodus chapter 3 verses 1 to 15, as well as John chapter 8 verses 12 to 20. Exodus chapter 3 verses 1 to 15. Now Moses was, was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezzazites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to the Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Uh, John chapter 8, verses 12 to 20. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going but you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? 
You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Well, good morning, everybody. It's a little surreal to be actually here. There's some faces I know and some I don't, and I've already been called Peter twice, so I'm used to that. But uh, when the interim moderator, Jeff Reed, uh, asked if I could come and preach, uh, I said, yes. He said, for how long? And he said, well, as long as it takes. I said, okay, not a problem. What should I preach about? He said, well, there's no program, uh, but the Bible studies are doing John. Is that correct? The Bible studies are doing John. So I thought, what better than to have a look in John at some of the great I am passages, uh, personal parables of our Lord. I hope over the next few weeks, uh, that we can discover together something of the powerful dynamic in our, our daily lives if we take up and choose to call personal parables of our Lord. If we take them up, the great I am passages we find in the Gospel of John. Like today, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the resurrection, I am the good shepherd, I am the gate, I am the vine. There are three things that we need to appreciate if we're going to move towards the truth as it comes to us in these personal parables of our Lord. Firstly, what's in a name? For us, a name is simply a tag, an identification label to mark one person from another. My name is Robert, there's Alex, Sybil, and lots of other names. Not for a moment do we think that the name does anything but signify a person. The name tells us nothing about that person. Now, sure, you might have, uh, uh, most parents, got the baby book of names and you know you go through and look up the supposed meaning of the name but we really don't take it seriously however if we call someone by their nickname we can discover something about that person because of their nickname and it's as I stand behind beside this uh, blue and gold Parramatta fan growing up here in Epping, and I reminisce back to the, the great 80s and the last time we won a premiership with players like Steve Zip Zip Man Ella. There was Ray Perpetual Motion and The Crow. What a glorious era that was. We could tell a little bit about people. Today we've got King Guts, Ice Pack, 
and the bearded brick. Hopefully they can bring glory. But the nickname gives us more than a tag. It gives us an idea about who they are, their characteristics. And that, for the Hebrew people, is a name that means something. They named their people like our use of the nickname. The Hebrews saw that the inner name, something of the character of the person was discovered. We see it. Jesus, the one who saves. He gave Simon a nickname, didn't he? He called him Peter because this name means the rock. And Jesus saw some rock-like character within this fisherman. And as we go back to uh, our first reading, where we go back to Moses when God chose him to be the leader of Israel, we see he was reluctant. And in his argument with God, he's going to say, well, if I go down there, whose name am I speaking? I have no authority. I need to tell them your name. And so the Lord replied, tell them I am has sent you. The one who is has sent you. The divine creator. The one who was and is and is to come. The eternal, infinite God. The Lord. He's the one who has sent you. And so we see that Jesus then takes up this divine name. Ego eimi, the divine I am. I myself am. And he speaks about himself. He takes up this divine name. I am. To reveal something of the heart and character of who he is. What it is to be God. So what's in a name? Something very significant for us as we look at these personal parables. Secondly, what's in a language? The Hebrew mind, far more than we do these days, with all our computers and smartphones where we tap and we look and we read, Thought in pictures. More and more a picture is worth a thousand words. The phenomena is turning. We now have a, a life of memes. And if you don't know what a meme is, ask someone who understands these things. Because pictures uh, paint a thousand words. And that was the idea that the rabbis used to use in Jesus' day when they were teaching. They would look at all the, 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 the rules and whatnot, and then they would say, well, what can I liken it to? What, what picture can I draw? And Jesus would have failed to connect with his hearers if he didn't speak in their own tongue and in their own thought patterns. Hebrews 
thought in how rather than why. We think in why. Why does this happen? What point is there? How does it work? And so we think differently. But Jesus used to paint pictures the farmer scattering the seed, the man beaten by uh, robbers, the woman who lost a coin, the sheep that had gone missing. These were everyday occurrences that people could think about. And thirdly, what's in a story? As John, in his old age, meditated and recorded the life of Jesus. And when it came to telling the stories of the miracles, he rarely, if ever, told them for, his, for their own sake. If you see the pattern in John, without exception, he would tell that story to throw the spotlight on to Jesus. You'd have the miracle, you'd have the statement, spotlight on Jesus. And this is what we're going to see time and again when we look at the great I Am passages. So let's have a look at the, the first one from John 8. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light of life. Jesus chose uh, the background of this fantastic claim, the occasion of the Jewish festival known as the Feast of Tabernacles. And on the first night of the Feast of Tabernacles, there was the illumination of the temple ceremony. That was when four great candelabra or menorah were put uh, into the four corners of the Gentile court. They were 22 metres high and they were lit with oil and it was said, and as it was set ablaze, it was said that the light not only lit the temple, but the light lit Jerusalem itself. And so we see in that Jesus says, well, it's one thing to have those lights in all their brilliance, it's one thing for you to be impressed at this glorious sight, filling the temple and filling the streets of Jerusalem. That impresses you, but he said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Against the picture of the blazing light, Jesus makes this audacious claim. I am the light of the world. These lights just light up here and there. But Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I was watching uh, Penrith versus East, or the Roosters last night at the SCG on, on uh, the TV. And it reminded me of what Dad used to call the pyjama game, or one day cricket where the great five light towers at the SCG are lit up for a sporting event. You can see the light not only for, 
at the ground, but for, for kilometres around. If you got out the train at Central, you walked towards the light. We're often told, you know, don't walk towards the light. Walk towards the light. There was a great illumination. But could you imagine if in front of, say, 50,000, 60,000 or more that the SCG can hold, imagine Australia versus England in a deciding one-day cricket match. You could the great light towers streaming down their light, illuminating and radiating, and it's an impressive sight. Could you imagine the reaction if, say, at a drinks break or the innings break, on the large scoreboard on the northern end, it flashed up, Jesus said, I am the light. Could you imagine? What do you think the response would be? Oh, <laughs> what a joke. The big laugh or big ridicule. It would have spread faster than a Mexican wave around the ground. Are you kidding? What's going on? But you see, it is against the spectacular that Jesus makes this claim. And the response was the same. We can see the rabbis didn't like it. They said, who are you? Some Galilean carpenter's son. The lowest of the low. Making such a claim that their minds were blown. They could not understand. For them it was blasphemous. For the symbol of light had always been to do with the work of God. And that was the whole point of the illumination of the temple. It was to remind Israel of the guiding, burning light coming out of Egypt. Surely this guy was some kind of religious nut, stirring up trouble. It was difficult for people in Jesus' day to hear in any ways accept that claim. Perhaps it's not so difficult for us to accept. At least the words don't cause a reaction in our lives as it did back then. But maybe the familiarity of the Christian story, we, we know these things. We grew up listening to them. Maybe that can be a hazard to us truly understanding these claims and they, they can be lost on us. But if we continue reading, we see this statement comes before the story of the healing of the blind man. And so John wanted the miracle story of healing to highlight something of the truth of Jesus and the statement, I am the light of the world. The essential truth is simply put, but beautifully conveyed here, that what physical sight is to the blind, so is the light of Christ to the world. 
We can think of this in such a broad way that it almost becomes meaningless. We know that the world is so vast, billions and billions of people. The issues are so great. We can be dwarfed by it. But there's no doubt that Jesus is the light of this vast world. But if we narrow it down a bit, our focus down a bit, he's also the light of your world, the light of my world. For Jesus is addressing ordinary people, just like you and me. When he comes to the mighty affirmation, it is to people like us. He says, he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Each of our worlds is different. Each of us have a different story. Each of us have four different corners of our world. He who is the great I am says, I am the light of your world. So what does that mean for us? As I was thinking about it, going into a scientific definition of light suddenly gets very, very complicated, doesn't it? Is light the absence of darkness? Or is darkness the absence of light? Oh, we start contemplating things like that. It's a particle and it's a wave. Hmm, that's caused scientists all sorts of grief, hasn't it? The red rose is red because it has absorbed every part of light except red. And that's why we see a rose is red. Whoa. Starts to get the brain going, doesn't it? When we think about light. It can get awfully complicated, and I'm sure that's not what Jesus would have meant. We shouldn't get too fussed over what light is, except that Jesus said, I am the light of your world. He's simply saying, what light is to the physical world, I am to the souls of men and women who believe in me. I work at... Uh, a special needs school and just recently in our uh, living schools area the kids were doing that experiment that probably all kids school kids do is putting the bean sprouts on the cotton wool water and on the on the uh, windowsill to see how it goes and they over the period of time watch it sprout and grow and it reminded me of a time when I did it in high school, except we had two different sources, one to go on the windowsill, but another to go kind of in the cupboard. We to, to compare the result. The one on the windowsill obviously grew vigorously. The one away from the line well, it was kind of yellow and weak and sickly. And as we live in the light of Christ through faith, life takes on dimensions of that vigor, 
vigor and vitality as we live in the light as a plant growing in the sunlight. It's God's plan for you and for me to live our lives in the light. Strong, enthusiastic, being vitally alive, enjoyable, and all this comes through the light of Christ. Dad always used to say to me, there should never be a miserable Christian. But I often meet them. We should be living our lives in the light of Christ. We should be living vital lives, enjoyable lives. We get so stressed out. In him, we should live vigorously. The second point, what light is to the physical world, so I am to the souls of men and women. Back in the 50s and 60s, on the outskirts of Sydney, the NRMA used to have what are called pilot stations, where people from the country who were not familiar with the city roads were a bit nervous and were members of the NRMA they could arrange for a pilot to meet them at the pilot station. The pilot was a skilled and knowledgeable driver who would take over the controls of the car. Thus, traveling through the city became a breeze. And so, as we live in Christ, he becomes our pilot. He is at our side. He takes the controls. And that's a big thing in life, isn't it? To give up ourselves, to get out of the driver's seat and let Christ in. Let him be in control of our lives. And it's in him that we set our goals, we move ahead Yes, the way may be scary, it may be rough, it may be dangerous. Life is definitely challenging. I know this through uh, my work history. I've had many kinds of different jobs. But through it all, I could go forward because Christ is my pilot. Christ is the one who is leading Christ was the one who challenged me. Yes, in various jobs that I've had, I could move forward confidently because of the light of Christ in my life. Oh, now things weren't perfect. I've had many doubts, I've had many fears, different depressions and various other things. But with him by my side, we can go forward confidently. We can travel this life with Christ. But of course, a traveler not only needs a light beside them, they need a light ahead of them. A 
pilot of a plane or a navigator of a ship must constantly take bearings to adjust the course accordingly. And where do we get our bearings from as Christians? Well, of course, from Christ. How do we do that? It's as we attend to his word, as we meet in Bible studies, as we gather together here Sunday by Sunday, as we uh, worship God together, we study his word, as we listen, as we interact, as we enter into the fellowship of the church, he will provide those distant lights for us so that we can walk beside him but towards him as we travel day by day so we can uh, arrive victoriously as I said life can be tough there can be darkness but Christ is the light at the end of the tunnel I want to leave you with one more picture this morning. It's the one that the Apostle Paul has in Philippians 3, 12 to 16. He says this. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take a view of such things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. Christ said, I am the light of the world. I am the Holy One. Believe in me and you can live vigorously, you can travel confidently and arrive victoriously. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the light of the world. And so we pray that you will shine your light on us today. Chase away the darkness of sin. Chase away the darkness of fear or doubt or despair. Fill us with your light, the light of your truth. Fill us with your word. Produce in us the fruit of righteousness, the evidence that your Holy Spirit lives in us, that your Holy Spirit works in us and works through us. Teach us what is pleasing to you. Make us a shining example of your amazing grace, of your redeeming love, of your life-changing power. And may others be drawn to you through us.
Amen.